This is Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee. My pal Clark Hilton is across the glass, and there's always something interesting going around. My title is the Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, 104.1 The Fish, KPAM News Talk 860, 93.1 El Rey, Talk 1640, and 93.9 KPDQ, whose very own Georgine Rice welcomes you, sings, and leads a breakout lab session at Ignite 2019. The Women's Conference's theme is Hope for a Broken World, sponsored by our friends at Western Seminary's Women's Center for Ministry with keynote speaker Whitney Willard from Hinson Baptist Church. A whole lot's going on on March 3rd at Vancouver Church, including Spirited Worship, The Joy of Dance, Drama, 20 Labs, and a whole lot more. And you could save bucks by signing up early. Make sure that you check out kpdq.com for all the details. Something else that's going on is our friends at Adventist Medical Center on Southeast Market Street in Portland, that's just south of Mall 205, have opened their doors for a wonderful non-denominational worship experience in the hospital setting of Adventist Medical Center. So join us for First Friday. The next one is coming up March 2nd, featuring music by Ohana Praise Band. No RSVP is needed, however, if you want free dinners, which are just optional, at future First Fridays. Please register online two weeks in advance for an encouraging word. And this time around, our very special guest is the keynote speaker, Roger. Roger, how are you today, sir? Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on your program. Truly our pleasure. It's good to have you aboard. And would you like to give us a view from 30,000 feet of what you'll be sharing at First Friday? Well, I'm going to be kind of starting off with my uh, life, uh, which started in a uh, small town of Midwest in a town called McCook, Nebraska, and um, raised there by uh, Christian parents and found out that uh, Christianity at that time was just not for me. So how did they take this, Roger? Being raised in a church-going family, was there a point during your youth where you let it known to your family that this God thing at the moment wasn't for you? It was pretty tough for them, but I had one thing definitely going for me. It's I had a praying mother. She never gave up on me. Every day she prayed for me. And uh, the thing I had was doing wrong is that I wanted to be a tough guy. That was kind of my goal in life since I didn't have Christianity. And I was trying to figure out, well, how can I be a tough guy? So I looked to uh, TV and looked at the tough guys on TV and see what they did. So at this point, Roger, who were some of your heroes and what were some of the programs that you idolized? Well, back in that day, it was mostly Western shows. And I'd see the tough guy, you know, first thing I'd see him do is they'd be smoking cigarettes. I said, ah, that's what a tough guy does, huh? So at grade school, guess what? I started smoking cigarettes. Then I continued watching, and pretty soon I saw, hmm, the tough guy drinks drinks also. So in junior high, I started drinking. And then I continued watching. I said, oh, they get in fights all the time. So, okay, in high school, I started getting in fights all the time because I figured that's what tough guys did. And uh, even though I got in fights, that doesn't mean I was any good at it. I got in fights and lost a lot of them. So I decided that I'm going to see if I can get an edge going here, and I joined a club called the Golden Gloves Boxing Club to see if I can improve my abilities and I get beat up all the time. 
And I still had my mother there, though. She was praying for me every day. Even when I was at the at a bar drinking or I was out in the street fighting or even when I was in jail, she never gave up on me. She prayed for me every day. Well, that's a good thing. Are you close with your yeah. mom? I'm sorry, what? Were you close with your mother? Very close. She and I, uh, every morning for breakfast, she and I would just sit there at the breakfast table, watch the sunrise, and just talk. And she was very, very much there for me. She accepted me no matter what I did. She encouraged me all the time. And I just want to tell people out there that if you have somebody that is that has fallen away from Christ, that does not know Christ, pray for them every day. Never stop it because God is in the prayer answer business. I know that firsthand because mom prayed for me for 30 years before it changed my life and she never quit. And nor did she cut you off, even though you'd walked away from your Christian upbringing. I love that fact, Roger. I think that perhaps nowadays that we in the church, and I'm talking about simply brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not pointing the finger at a particular denomination or building or congregation, but I think sometimes it's so easy for us to be frustrated, especially as parents. And maybe it's out of hurt or Maybe it's cut us easier. A lot of people I know have cut off their kids if they haven't followed in, in their cookie-cutter form of religion with which they are raised. And fortunately, Roger, your mom refused to do that. She loved on you anyway and continued praying for you. Exactly. And even when I moved away from my home and, uh, and I really didn't call up anymore, she'd send me cards all the time and just telling me, I'm loving you. And I'm praying for you. So even though I was rejecting all of their beliefs, she was reminding me every day, I'm there for you, and God's there for you, and I'm not giving up on you. So that's what we got to remember is never to give up because uh, prayers are answered. Well, that's for sure. Now, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag and spoil what you'll be sharing at First Friday at Adventist Medical Center coming up on March 2nd. But... It seems like you're going to be delving into your history and how things turned around through God. So according to uh, the bio on Adventist's website, they noted that after a disillusioned soldier returned home from the Vietnam War, the railroad hired him to protect their property and personnel, assuming his military training was all that he would need. No radio, no backup, and his bright yellow Mustang convertible for a patrol car. Now, that must have been fun to drive around. That's straight out of your TV upbringing of the tough guy in the police drama, right? Oh, you bet. And that was a cherry of a car. I wish I had it today. It was really hard to drive it on the back roads of the railroad and have it all beat up there. But, yeah, I wish I had it today. So what year was that Mustang? I'm curious. It was a 67 um, yellow GT uh, Mustang convertible. Wow. How much would that be worth today in good condition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for me back then, too, uh, and my mindset, that was a girl magnet, so I liked it. Oh, I can imagine. So how did you get from turning your back on the faith with which your parents raised you to being what you thought a man had to be throughout your school days and then going after golden gloves. Did you get any good at boxing? Uh, I got better. I ended up having a couple broken noses, but I, I did eventually learn and get a little bit better. And Are, and, are uh, you a large fellow? No, I'm not. Uh, that's the reason I needed to have a little edge. I'm five foot eight, 
So uh, um, to be a tough guy, I had to really be a tough guy if I was going to not get my nose broke anymore. Well, there you go. Well, I suppose that would be good stepping stones for joining the military eventually. So tell us how you went from your school days to Vietnam. Okay, well, it started off, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of a small town because I felt I wasn't a small town boy. So when I graduated from high school, the very next day I moved to the big city of Denver, Colorado, where I worked at the Playboy Club. And I um, worked there for a couple years, and then I ended up becoming a professional camper. That sound pretty cool? Well, Colorado's beautiful. If you must pick a place to be a professional camper, I suppose it's not a bad choice, right? Yeah, so when there's professional camp, I worked for a large corporation. They they gave me all of my camp gear. They paid for my food. Uh, they gave me an income, and they even paid for my travel. In this large corporation I worked for, it was called the United States Army. <laughs> they 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 contacted me and said they wanted me part of their group, so I was drafted in 1970, and um, sent me to Fort Lewis. Uh, for several months of training. And then after that, they gave you a dream sheet, it's called, after your training, and they'd say, where would you like to go from here? Um, they give the different countries. Most everybody put down Germany, of course, or Hawaii. Uh, I put down Vietnam because I was a tough guy, and that's where the war was. That's what I was trained for, and I figured that's where I'm going to go. And besides, I figured... They're not going to look at the dream sheet and give you what you want anyway. Well, to my surprise is that we were starting to cut back on the people we were sending over to Vietnam. Most of the guys in my unit went to were Germany or Hawaii, but me and a few others that volunteered for Vietnam, that's where we ended up going. So I went there, and I was in the uh, 4th Infantry Air Mobile Division, uh, which means that I spent most of my time in the jungles there. And... Um, cutting my way through jungles, and then being in an air mobile unit, that means that if there was something going on someplace else, somebody was in trouble, something, or they needed uh, help some other place, they'd bring in the choppers, take us out of the jungle, and take us to the next landing site to where the, uh, where the action was. So for someone looking for a manly man's experience before coming to his own and, and embracing the Lord, that must have been quite a scene to be at, Roger. It was. And Mike, you know, the first day I got to Vietnam, I was uh, welcomed in a very scary way. We had a rocket attack the first day. It was. It really shocked me. It was something I have never experienced before. I mean, there's explosions going off, there's bright lights going off, there's sirens going off, people screaming. And I learned very quickly that I wasn't such a tough guy after all. We're speaking with Roger. He's going to be the keynote speaker at Adventist Medical Center, which is on Southeast Market Street in Portland, just south of Mall 205, featuring the music of Ohana Praise Band. And that'll be on March 2nd. It's absolutely free. No RSVP is necessary. However, if you'd like to get a free dinner thrown in, just register online a couple of weeks in advance for future First Fridays. All the details are up at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page and on our social media. When we return, more about Roger, and he'll share about his Vietnam experience and more on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. 
Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here, inviting you to Adventist Medical Center on March 2nd for music from Ohana Praise Band. Adventist Medical Center is on Southeast Market Street, just south of Mall 205 in Portland. And maybe you're between churches or a friend, co-worker, or relative would like to get a nice night of music and worship and a word of encouragement and inspiration. Coming up on March 2nd, we're blessed to be speaking with the keynote speaker, Roger, who was sharing with us earlier on that despite the fact he was raised in a Christian home, he decided not to follow along at the start, at least. And that led him to end up in Vietnam. So, Roger, tell us about your first day landing in Vietnam. Well, it was a complete, definitely a rude awakening for me. It uh, you go from a country in a weather that was a mild climate, going to a place that was hot and humid, and uh, people were speaking a language that I didn't understand. They took me to a fire base that looked completely different than anything I knew. There was there was barbed wire all over the place. There were machine guns set up all around the edge, and all you know, all of a sudden you're feeling, wow. I'm in an area that's dangerous. And that first night when we had that a rocket attack and the explosions going off and the, um, uh, the screams and the sirens, uh, I found out that a person could actually taste fear when you get that frightened. And so I thought, man, this is going to be a long year. I had no idea how I was going to make it through it. Well, you were a tough kid in Montana growing up in schools and getting into fights and smoking and drinking at a young age and going into the Golden Gloves. But this is really a bit of a culture shock for you, despite all of these past experiences you had. Do you think anyone is ever really ready for, for wartime or for an experience like Vietnam? No, there's no way they can be. I know they gave us a lot of training. During the training, I'm going, man, I said, they're overdoing this. They're really running us hard and working us hard constantly. And there were times they would be day and night training nonstop. And I think, kept thinking, this is too much. But when we got over to Vietnam, I found out they didn't even touch on it yet. They didn't even begin to train us enough. So uh, the realization of what war was really like was horrible. I had no idea. It was nothing like TV. It was nothing like the movies. It was it was horrible. And the sad thing is, is that we're just not learning that. My dad fought in World War II. He was in the Navy. And as we were kids growing up, we were never allowed to watch war movies. And he never talked about it, or virtually never talked about it, because he didn't want us to see war as being glorified. So I get the distinct impression that he hid things from us that stuck with him for the rest of the days of his life. And they weren't generally positive memories they brought back with him. So if there are any veterans out there listening right now, if you were to give them a word as someone who's lived through what you've lived through, what would you share with them, Roger? Well, what I would say is that I know when I first returned, the VA didn't seem to be as helpful as we needed, but as years gone by, it has changed. And I'm finding that the VA has put into place help for us guys coming back from war. And our warriors that are coming back from overseas now, they need help also. And there is in place through the VA some great counselors there. And they also have group sessions that guys that have gone through the similar situation can talk together as a group. 
a veteran that has gone through war, has gone seen these atrocities, it's really, really difficult for us to talk to somebody that has not experienced it. And we just think, and you think, well, why even say anything to them? Because they won't understand it. You get in these group sessions, you're talking to these people, they're understanding it because they felt it too. And so you can kind of, it's a way of venting. It's finally opening this up and getting this out and seeing people's faces saying, yeah, I understand, man. I've been there. And you've got brothers there with you that want to help also. So anybody that's going through this, I would highly suggest utilize this. It's in there for you. And you guys are warriors out there. And don't let anybody ever tell you anything different. You've heard in the past, when we came back from overseas, we were called names, we were put down. But you guys, all of you guys that have fought in a war, you're warriors, and don't ever forget that. And if you didn't hear it when you returned to the States, let me say, welcome home. So, Roger, how was... Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. uh, Truly my honor, and thank you for serving and protecting our country, Roger. So was there a bit of an adjustment curve when you got out of Vietnam? Very much so. And I, should, I was going to back up a little bit. While I was in Vietnam, I had a, a real life-changing, the whole thing was a life-changing experience for me. And as the days went by, you know, it was the same thing day after day. You're either cutting yourself way through the jungles, you get in firefights, uh, you, you're told you've got to take, take this hill. You go in there, you get in a firefight. Some of the enemy get killed. Some of your people get killed. When it's done, you leave the hill and go someplace else, and then they came back. So it was the same thing day after day. And as the weeks went by and the months went by, I reached out to God. I thought, God, if you're there, if you're real, I've got to ask something. I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore, God. So I'm asking, please, let a VC bullet find me and end this for me. And as you can tell, he didn't answer my prayer. Well, I'm thankful for that. It wasn't your time. Uh, Is this the first point of your life, Roger, where as a tough kid and a rebel and seeing all these guys you wanted to be like on TV, is this the first time that fear had really overtaken you? Yes, because I always was thought, a tough guy, you can handle anything yourself. I don't need anything on the outside. I always viewed Christians as uh, being Christians because they needed a crutch. I figured, I don't need a crutch. I'm a tough guy. But um, I found that God is is not a crutch. He's a father that loves me. And he's there not only to, uh, to be there for me, but he's there to hold me up and encourage me. So, Roger, despite the fact that you were growing up in a christian parented household you didn't follow along early on do you see that as letting perhaps the mainstream media sink in and to a degree becoming your idol or do you believe that we as the church don't put heroes in front of young people that they aspire to be more like i think you're right on mike first off um if people think that the movies and and the tv shows that our young people are seeing or even older kids are seeing doesn't affect them. I'll tell you right now, it does affect them because I can say firsthand, I wouldn't even thought about taking up smoking or drinking or fighting uh, without seeing it on the shows because, again, that's what the hero did. And so we have a hard time, especially when we're young, 
to realize what's the difference between fiction and real. Pretty soon we see the fiction so much and we see so much killing and, and atrocities on the TV. Now it becomes the norm for us and it no longer is it fiction. To us, it's real. So these things definitely affect their mind in a long-term way. And, uh, and I think our churches, like you say, you know, need to put our heroes up front. And a hero, it doesn't have to be a person that fought in a war or came back from a war. A hero is somebody that goes out there and helps a kid that needs help or goes to the senior sitter and talks to an elderly person that doesn't have somebody to talk to. That's a hero. That's the ones we've got to put up on the pedestal. Roger is going to be the keynote speaker at Adventist Medical Center's first Friday coming up on March 2nd. They're located on Southeast Market Street, just south of Mall 205 in Portland. And if you're unfamiliar with Adventist Medical Center, simply go through the carport, the main entrance through the sliding doors, past the main receptionist area, and then take the elevators downstairs, and it's right around the corner from the grand piano. So sometimes hospitals can be intimidating, but if you just say, hey, I'm going to First Friday, where's the grand piano? Someone will be able to get you there really, really easily when you'll be able to hear. Great worship by Ohana Praise Band and a testimony and word of encouragement from Roger himself. So Roger, are you going to be doing this solo, or will anyone be joining you for March 2nd? My wife will be there with me, Maureen, and uh, she, she even goes by a different name than me. When we got married, Maureen decided she's going to keep her maiden name, so she goes by Maureen O'Kane. When I married her, I decided to keep my maiden name also, so I go by <laughs> Roger Dowling. <laughs> so, yes, she'll be there with me, and uh, she'll be there uh, part of the testimony also. Well, we are looking forward to hearing that. And you were talking about heroes or need to see them in the church. So biblically, what I believe is that there is indeed nothing new under the sun. However, with the influx of technology, the internet, social media, constant images before this generation's kids, do you see any yellow flags earlier on than perhaps when you and I were growing up that we really need to set kids right and this generation on a firm foundation before they go out into the world? Well, I see I see not only yellow flags, I see red flags throwing up. Uh, with the technology, we're losing the ability to be able to talk face-to-face to people, and we're starting to lose empathy, the ability to have empathy because, again, we're seeing these fictitious things all the time on the, on the, on the movies that become the dead in our senses. And uh, so... Yes, it's a, something that's um, it's changing our kids. And the thing, too, is that we got to prepare them for when they leave uh, the home and go into college, they're there now thinking, now I'm going to make my own decisions and I'm going to make uh, and listen to other people, not my parents anymore because I'm no longer with them. we got to prepare them for that because they're going to get hit hard, real hard with evolution and uh, and they've got to be prepared, and they can't be prepared with just saying, well, the Bible doesn't say that, because they're talking to professors and teachers that don't believe in the Bible. They've got to have some really, really strong evidence, uh, scientific evidence, uh, uh, history showing that creation is real, Jesus is real, and be ready, because it's going to be tough when you get out in the world. So, friends, maybe you've 
started off in a Christian home and you've walked the narrow path, or maybe you're like me and Roger and had to kind of take the scenic route. We want to encourage you to keep on praying, keep on spending time in the Word, connect with a good Bible-believing and serving congregation, big, small denomination, you pick just as long as it's following the Bible. And if you'd like to hear more from Roger, well, stick around for more of Difference Makers and join him March 2nd at Adventist Medical Center, where he and his wife will be keynote speakers at First Friday, March 2nd, with music by Ohana Praise Band. All the information is on our website at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page. More with Roger next on True Talk 800. You are listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. I'm Mike Lee, and maybe you're between churches, or you'd like to take someone out who's a little tentative about going into a church building, but would probably be okay with going to a hospital for a non-denominational worship experience at Adventist Medical Center alongside a wonderful keynote speech from Roger and his wife, Maureen. Roger grew up in Montana in a Christian family that he just wasn't on the same page with. So he decided to grow into what he thought was going to be a tough guy and then served in Vietnam. So, Roger, you mentioned the fear that you experienced in Vietnam and all the uncertainties and the violence. So thank you again for serving our country. We can't tell you and your brothers and sisters who fought in Vietnam that quite enough. And tell us, at this stage of the game in your life, Roger, were you just crying out to God out of fear and desperation, or were some real good, serious seeds getting planted out in Vietnam? Well, I was still, hadn't had an attachment to God yet. I was still, um, basically, I was very confused. I didn't even know what to think anymore. And uh, when I got back to the States, you know, I, of course, changed forever. I came back and I was disillusioned. I was angry. I was confused. I was having nightmares every night, so I started drinking. That was my way of trying to get rid of these nightmares. But my mom was still praying for me. She never gave up. She kept praying for me every night. I needed a job. So my grandfather was a conductor on the railroad, my dad was a conductor on the railroad, and I always said I'd never work for the railroad. I learned never to say never, Mike. Never say never, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> because I went to the railroad and asked for a job, and apparently they got a hold of my military record and figured I knew which end of the gun was the business end, so they asked me if I wanted to go in law enforcement at the railroad, and I thought, me at law enforcement? You know, I was on the other side of the law when I was growing up, and be, uh, be a police officer now was something the furthest from my mind, but I thought, hey, I'll give it a try. So I became what is called a yard bull, which is a railroad uh, detective, a railroad patrolman, and um, started working at Lincoln, Nebraska. You start with no training. All they do is say, go out and buy a gun, get some handcuffs. They gave me a badge. They gave me a um, uh, commission as a special state deputy sheriff and said, go out there and um, find the bad guys. So I went out there not knowing what I was doing and uh, learned again that I needed a little bit more of an edge because being five foot eight, I was being challenged more. So I went back and took up martial arts and uh, see if I can learn to fight even a little better. And... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, Mike. 
That's quite all right. So what did this season of life do for you when it comes to revealing to you, Roger, who exactly you were becoming at this point after Vietnam? Well, I was finding I was I was real confused and I was being there was something that was I could feel something almost like always tapping me on the shoulder saying there's something else other than this. But I wouldn't look around. I wouldn't look up. I kept there was something there. And the thing that really changed me, Mike, was that one day I was out on surveillance and I was sitting there uh, watching this highway there and there was this motorcycle come riding down the highway and had a young man and young woman on it. And all of a sudden the car in front of them stopped and this motorcycle hit that car. Both of these young people went flying over the top of the car into oncoming traffic and were hit by oncoming traffic. So I ran over there and the um, first person I came up to was the young lady that was on the motorcycle, laying there with her eyes wide open. She was obviously gone and um, shook me up a lot. I went over to the young man. He was severely injured. He was still alive, and he was trying to say something. And so I leaned down and listened to him. I said, I'm right here. I says, what do you need? And he lifts his head up, and he says, my sister. How's my sister? And I didn't want him to know that she was gone, so I just told him, I says, she's okay. She's being watched over, so don't worry about her. You just, just think about yourself now. He lays back down and looks at me, and he says, thank you. Then he joined his sister. The rest of that shift, I was, I was really in a turmoil now. I couldn't understand why there's so much pain and so much sadness in this world I went home that night, and I, I reached for my regular way of relief of drinking some beer. And this time it didn't help at all. And so I thought, I got it. who's this God guy? I want to know more about God, about Jesus I hear about. So I thought, well, I'll go to the phone book and see if I can find God in the phone book. So I went to the phone book and went to churches and looked up a number for a church, called them up. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning and got the answer machine. And so I left them a message say can you tell me who this Jesus guy is? And hung up and didn't think about it anymore. Well, next day was my day off. Halfway through the day, I got a knock on my door. I opened the door, and there's just two gentlemen there. And I asked them, yep, what do you guys want? And they says, we come here to tell you about Jesus. I thought, wow, what a quick answer. I says, come on in, guys. So they came in. These two men sat on my couch. And the first thing out of my mouth, I says, why does a Jesus of love allow so much hate, pain, and sadness and death in this world? And these two men looked at me with eyes that was filled with emotion, with concern, and a softness that I hadn't seen before. And with a gentle voice, he, he started talking to me, opened the Bible, and he told me a story about a loving, wonderful Jesus that came to this earth and died for me. And he talked to me for a couple hours at least. And I could see that my life has now changed. I could see that there was a God and there was a Jesus that cared. And so as I was escorting these guys out the door, I said, I'm impressed. I said, I just called the church last night and you answered this quickly. And he says, we're not from any church around here. We said, we're from Canada. And I said, well, how did you know about me? He says, somebody told us to go look you up. And that was it. To this day, I still don't know 
where these guys come from or how they found me, but I think we all know Jesus Man. directed them over there. <laughs> God's got a wonderful sense of humor, Roger. Oh, my goodness. So basically, it wasn't the message that you left at this church. It was two guys from Canada who yep. were instructed to find you, and they did, and they shared with you. So all these years later, after your mother had raised you in a Christian home and prayed for you, how did she take the good news? Well, she saw the change in me. She could see that I'd stopped drinking, uh, stopped partying, stopped being wild. She was elated, and she was just so thankful for, to, to God. And I told her I couldn't thank her enough for never giving up on me. And because through her, I saw a God that would never give up on me either. So I was, uh, I was so, so happy and feeling that I was a special. I felt special now that I wasn't just a guy that was just going through life, that I was a guy that a mother showed me a love of Jesus. And um, what a blessing. So ironically enough, it wasn't the tough guys that we grew up watching on TV. It, it wasn't people in the boxing ring or in Vietnam or in your martial arts experience. It was the prayer of your mom, the ongoing prayer of your mom for you to come to know the Lord and the example that she lived before you, even when you weren't having your walk. Yes. And I also learned that truly a tough, a tough guy, a brave guy is a guy that stands for Jesus. That's, that's a brave guy. And that's a tough, tough person. So flash forward to when you met your wife, Maureen, how did you get (laughs) from this point of all these years later of trying to be, the tough guy, and, and seeing the emptiness within it, and then having these two strangers from Canada, of all places, bring you finally that last stretch over the finish line to the Lord. Where did you eventually meet Maureen? Well, I ended up being uh, transferred to uh, Spokane, Washington. And uh, while in Spokane, Washington, I was you know, I was feeling lonely, living by myself. And so I went to a um, dating service, and we didn't have computers then, so I couldn't go on the computer, so I went to the dating service and and, uh, put in um, my profile, telling about myself and saying who I'm looking for, Uh, and top on the list is I wanted somebody that was a believer, that believed in God, and um, I found a match, and there was this young lady, little gal, blonde hair, and I could see a little honoriness in her eyes. I thought, oh, this looks interesting. So I um, called her up, and uh, we talked on the phone for quite a while. I found out she's a good talker, and she agreed with me to uh, meet me. On a, uh, We realized that our offices were just across the street from each other, downtown Spokane, so we decided we're going to meet on the corner of downtown between our offices. So I went there. And uh, dressed in my best. I was in my brown polyester suit, white socks, and black shoes. And I'm sitting there on this bench. And with me is uh, four uh, gentlemen of the street that were quite intoxicated, uh, passing their bottle back and forth while I'm sitting there with them waiting for Maureen to show up. Roger, this is a real exciting table setting. So we want to hear the rest of the story after the break. Keep in mind, friends, you can catch Roger and Noreen live in person as they are the keynote speakers at 
First Friday being hosted by Adventist Medical Center on Southeast Market Street, just south of Mall 205. That's coming up on Friday, March 2nd, with worship from Ohana Praise Band. So that'll be from 7.15 to 8.30 p.m. Just going to the main entrance, go downstairs, and First Friday will be held right by the Grand Piano, where you can catch Roger and Maureen live. All the details are up at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page when we return. When Roger Met Maureen on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Thank you for joining Difference Makers on True Talk 800. We're back with Roger and Maureen, the keynote speakers at Adventist Medical Center's first Friday coming up on March 2nd. So, Roger, before the break, you were telling us how you had found Maureen's profile on a service, and this is before the Internet-type days, but you realized that you ended up working across the street from each other. So tell us about your first encounter in person. Yeah. First, Mike, I want to make a correction so they'll allow me back home. I'm from Nebraska, not Montana. Go big. Oh, my bad. <laughs> so I want to one of those sure three syllable states. Home. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. So yes, we met on. Uh, uh, I was waiting on this corner here with these um, with these intoxicated gentlemen that were sitting there with me, passing the bottle back and forth, waiting for Marine to show up. And uh, they passed the bottle of me, and I said, no, I'll pass. But I started asking some questions. I said, hey, where do you guys usually catch trains out at? And, uh, you know, where do you guys go to keep away from the yard bulls? And so they were giving me all kinds of good information. And as I'm talking to them, pretty soon I look up, and there's this, this little gal, blonde-haired gal, wearing a polka dot outfit, looking at me confused. And I says, oh, there's my partner. And they go, what? And I stood up, showed my badge, and I said, thanks for the information, guys. I'll be seeing you next to the tracks. And so so I went over to Marine, and I'm thinking, I'm looking good in my polyester suit, and my white socks, and my black shoes. But Marine had kind of a strange look on her face, and she's on the phone now. This is what I look like to her. Dork. <laughs> <laughs> And, and one of those uh, dates that will only last for the lunch hour, and I'll never see him again. So you were just watching the clock. If, if you yeah, had a cell yeah. phone, you would have texted a friend to call you to give you an emergency yeah. to walk out for, right? Yes, yes, the emergency girl call. Yes, I would have had that, but we didn't have cell phones then. So I thought, okay, this is just an hour. It's a pity lunch. I can do this. And I thought I was looking so good. And when we went to lunch, she did something that nobody ever done for me before. I've, uh, she, she even <laughs> ordered my lunch for me. Yeah, I wanted to see how tough he was. If he could handle a woman taking the lead, then, hey, we, could, we might be able to talk for this lunch. And so I ordered his lunch for him, and I didn't even know him. I just met him. Did you order and him something handled- cheap, Maureen, or what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, this is a great thing. See, we I paid $30 a month to belong to this dating service. And if I had six lunches and I ordered $5 worth of meal and the guys paid for it, I got my 30 bucks back. So I had it all figured out mathematically. <laughs> so anyways, yes, I ordered him something and he was shocked and he said, you don't even know me. You don't know if I even like that. And I said, so then we'll never see each other again? Like, no problem. <laughs> And he said, no, no, no. He, he found the whole thing intriguing. Who knew? I even had the card stacked against me at the beginning because she always said she'd never go out with a cop because they were too macho. So I guess I wasn't so macho after all. Oh, you were yeah, raised on macho. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The first restaurant I made sure 
had uh, really diverse people working there. There were dreads and piercings. I wanted to make sure this was somebody that was comfortable with all kinds of people because to me, we're all God's people. And he was. He was great. How on earth did you get a second date out of you, Maureen? You were just ready to write them <laughs> off right there and then. You ordered the meal. You were ready. I know. I was. I was uh, going to make sure that this guy, you know, was real and was open-minded and open-hearted, and, and he was, and he, he still is. I have a soldier and a sweetheart, all in the same guy. But she must have not felt that all the way through because she dumped me twice. Yes, I did. And- <laughs> And on the second dumping, I wrote her a nice poem and gave her a blown glass of a heart with tears coming off of it. Now, if that couldn't win her over, I didn't know what would. <laughs> so when did your heart change on Roger Maureen? Uh, probably, um, I would say, what is it, about five or six months, um, because I saw that he truly loved me, uh, he didn't just was looking for a wife. He wasn't just desperate to have a girlfriend. And I realized, wow, I need to take a second look at this guy. There really is something here. Uh, so I did. And we first started having Bible studies together. I need to know how he perceived Jesus and how was Jesus a major role in his life or, you know, just something he did once a week. And, uh, and I saw that he truly was a surrendered soul. And that's when things changed. So did you allow him to continue to wear white socks with black shoes and polyester at this point? No. Well, actually, I did until we were married. And here's what's funny. So, you know, once you're married, you can get away with stuff. Because what's he going to do? Divorce you if you do something shocking. But whereas when you're dating, he can break up with you. So once we were married, I got rid of all of his polyester suits, donated them to the Goodwill. And he comes home from work and says, I just arrested a guy wearing a suit that is just like mine. And he goes to the closet and sees that his suit is not there, realizing, oh, my word, that guy was wearing my suit. <laughs> and when I arrested him, I thought, this guy's got real class. the suit he's wearing. What a good-looking and, man he is. Yeah. That's right. Roger, he just couldn't get over that the fashion had increased in the homeless population. And so he said you, he just couldn't believe it. He, he honestly was attached to the suits. He said, you gave that away? And I said, yes, and we're going shopping. And, yes, so we did. He, he's never worn one since. And I actually survived because, it. Yes, because he knows if he did, it, it would be going to the Goodwill. <laughs> I, ha- I have certain lines that can't be crossed, and that's one of them, is you can kind of tell if a guy's not married. You know, there's hair coming out of his nose and his ears, and, yeah, he, Roger, he's... I look good. He yeah. looks good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And it was neat. When we got married, we became a team for Jesus now, which is, and she's high energy uh, at the time. I was high energy, too. And so we ended up uh, uh, teaching the teen class at our church. Uh, I was big brother to several boys. Uh, We were foster parents. Um, We volunteered to uh, uh, help young people at halfway houses. And uh, Maureen ended up uh, giving presentations on Bible science. She's been doing that for 30 years. So we're learning that if you have two people that are on the same page that love Jesus and love God and allow him to direct their lives, there's a lot of things you can do and a lot of people's lives you can touch if you just allow him to work through you. If you can look past polyester and nose hair, you can absolutely yeah. <laughs> find a jewel in the rough at times. Yes. So Maureen, he might know the score. <laughs> 
Maureen, we're really looking forward to seeing you alongside Roger at First Friday. So in our final two and a half minutes, I give you the floor. Someone's listening right now that needs the kind of encouragement that you two are going to give at First Friday. Can you talk to him or talk to her right now, please? Well, I can say there's a lot of fear going on out in the world. There's a lot of things that's happening that's very confusing and very scary. But we got to remember, we know the end of the story. If you look at the Bible, you'll know the end of the story. And we got to remember, no matter what's going on in this world, the person that's in charge is, is God. Jesus Christ died for us, so he won't leave us. He won't, he won't be away from us. He died for us, so he's right there for us. We're going to go through some troubles. We're going to go through some tough times, but don't give up. And remember, prayer is answered. God's in the, in the prayer answering business. So talk to him. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to listen to him through the Bible. And all your friends out there that are going through troubles, pray for them. Prayer is answered. Never give up. And, Never and, give up. And be there for them because no matter how far away you have strayed and no matter what you've done, it's never beyond his reach. He, the Bible tells us, even if I put myself in hell, and we have friends that are addicts, and they said, that's what it is, you're in hell. He said, there you were. God was there with them. He climbs down into the pit with us. It seems that lately, circumstances have pointed me and my family in the past of people that we love. But maybe they've made one or two bad choices that have thrown away everything they've built up over their lives. Hmm. But what we want to do as a team of brothers and sisters, as a team of Christians, is remember to keep praying. Think about Roger's mom. She prayed for him for, what, 30-plus years before he finally came and laid his life down before Jesus. Think about in the Bible. Think about thief number two. Think about the prodigal son coming back after losing everything. Think about modern-day people. Think about Chuck Colson after Watergate. No one is beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ. Nothing you've done is beyond God's redemption. So just a couple of reminders from Roger and Maureen, who are not only a fun couple, but they are an encouraging, God-loving, difference-making couple, taking what they're doing out into the community. And they'll be joined by Ohana Praise Band. No RSVP is needed. March 2nd, that'll be at Adventist Medical Center on Southeast Market Street, just south of Mall 205 in Portland. All the details are up at truetalk800.com on the Difference Makers page and on our social media. So, Roger, Maureen, thank you so much for joining us, and we're looking forward to First Friday. Thank we you, are Mike. Too. And thank yeah. you for joining us on Difference Makers on True Talk 800.